Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Ball. It's another one of those shows where we talk to an ex-member of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. This one, I dare say, uh, is a little bit different from the other ones that we showed. Imagine being born in a cult and being bullied and ostracized for the way that you are when you are born. I know that this organization has dismantled families and bullied ex-members and are quite litigious when they want to be. But this story I find to be um, in a category all on its own, and I've compartmentalized it as such because it must be an extraordinarily difficult thing to deal with, to deal with people who don't like you because of who you are naturally. So please, if you would, welcome to the show. His name is Ben Woodbury. Ben, how are you, buddy? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you for asking. So in my intro, I, I meant every word that I said, and I am um, I, I kind of want to start, though, at, uh, at, at the beginning, as I normally do with ex-members, and ask you if you, first of all, what it was like growing up when you were like a little kid, and if you have any fond memories. I want to start this a little bit different because I, I want to see how the chronology works, but if you have any fond memories of when you were smaller and when you were growing up inside the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Sure. Well, I'm 31 years old, and as you know, my name is Ben Woodbury. I escaped the Exclusive Brethren cult seven years ago, and I I do have fond memories, and unlike other, well, there are other members that have been through a similar thing, but I currently live in the same town I was born in, so a lot of members you'll find that leave this cult will put as much distance between them and the town they were born in or the town that caused them so much trauma, right? Yeah. So I, my circumstances were a bit different. Um, you know, but purely because I had my own businesses here, I, I didn't want to leave that. I had found a great community here. I did love the town I was in. Uh, mix that with a bit of my grandma's Dutch courage. I'm not really afraid of the brethren. Well, I'm not actually, I'll, I'll make that clear. Um, I stayed, I'm like, why would I run? Why, you know, I'm, not, I'm gonna stay in this town that I love. So I do have memories, fond memories of this town, 
or, or moments in my childhood in this town. Um, and as much as, you know, the majority of my memories or, or um, recollections of being in that cult were negative, I do have fond memories. And the beauty of living in this town now still, it's, it's enabled me to recreate or rewrite the narrative where of narrative of where so much trauma was was inflicted. Yeah, I, I um, heard. Sorry, go some ahead. of my fonder memories, you know, were with my great grandma in this town, or were with my mother. Usually, only with my mother or my aunties. Um, surprisingly, only the women. Um, yeah. I don't have any memories, positive memories of my dad, um, brother, or other male figures in my life. Yeah, I heard you mention that on the Get a Life podcast, and I and I wanted to touch uh, on that a little bit because you said something that really kind of spoke to me, and I'm I'm sure uh, many others. When you said that the first initial type of abuse that you experienced was the type of abuse that you can't really see, it's the emotional abuse, mental abuse, and things like that. When did you start noticing those types of events happening to you, or was it all in hindsight? Sorry, just the volume is a bit hard to hear here. What the? What did you say? When did I start? When did you start noticing that kind of uh, emotional and mental abuse uh, towards you? Or was it all in hindsight? Um, well, it's all I've ever known. So it's like, kind of like me saying to you, when did you notice the sky was blue? It's just right. there, right? But when, when I, I think years later after leaving i started to realize because you know you, you come out into a very different community a very different world and I've, I've used this expression before you're like a foreigner in your own country you have moments where you are like oh my god like and i, I still not so much now but i used to really battle being around men particularly straight men because mm-hmm my first instinct was to hide from them because I was always so badly bullied, ridiculed, whether it was my father, family or friends. I didn't, well, I didn't have friends, but all the wider community. So my instant initial reaction has always been to hide or hang out with the women because the men I've always had, you know, trauma, oh, there's trauma attached to that. Mm. So when I look, look at it now and I have many a straight male friend and those friends that I hang around with, I then look back on the behavior that I was experiencing back in and go, okay, that was emotional abuse. That was, you know, abuse that, that wasn't always, it was physical, but it wasn't always physical. It was emotional. It was manipulative. It was, you know, any form of bullying you could think of. And I've always had that and I've had to do a lot of work and that's why I'm such an advocate for mental health and for therapy because I've had to do a lot of work with my counsellor to get to where I am today where I have straight male friends and I love that because I was terrified of men, Um, you know, which there's so much more to unpack there, you know, that really affects relationships, it affects you being a gay man in a straight man's world. Yeah, it's, but to notice when I first felt that or noticed that, it's really hard because it's all I knew. That's fair. I've only noticed it now after leaving and and doing the work on myself, realizing that that type of behavior or what the way I was treated was abusive. You you mentioned not having um, male role models and that uh, your dad and you obviously weren't close. And I and, and we'll, I want to get to that in a second. I'm kind of curious though, why, but uh, you know, when you said that you kind of hung out with the woman. 
it makes me imagine that some women inside the brethren kind of like are defeated not necessarily promoters of the church like they feel more defeated by it they know that they want to be educated but they can't they know that they want to make decisions or speak when they want to but they can't did you find comfort because of that aspect of hanging out with them other than the fact that yeah can you unpack that a little bit or yeah, definitely, definitely. I feel like it was like two cellmates in the same prison, you know, a burden halved is burden shared. So it, it was that mentality. And, you you know, birds of a feather do flock together. You're in the kitchen with your mom and all the women and they're all talking about life and, and about... And also, let's be real, the guys, the, the brethren men in the lounge room, it, that's where they usually gathered, sitting there being waited on and served, you know, expensive alcohol sitting there talking about politics, it was boring as batshit. Oh, sorry, I excuse the profanities too, but... Oh, fuck, I, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. Look, I, I say to people now, I'll say what I want, where I want, when I want, because all you've my have, life... You've obviously never watched the show. Watch, where, think... <laughs> uh, sorry, that, that just shows me up too. <laughs> that, that's okay, that's okay. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, I, I did. I hung out in the kitchen because I was I was always, always admired women in there because... They, they, I knew they suffered so much. They were so visibly oppressed. They were constantly working for the male. They were constantly providing. They were constantly, and and I was like, their role is so, and the brethren will come back and say, yes, but, you know, their role is important. I'm like, well, so the, back in colonial days or pre that, people used to say that the role of a slave was important. So, you know, it, it's, they, they include them and lift them up to a point that, mm. and there are women smart enough to know this and that's why they've left. Like it's not, but it's just a lot harder for a woman to leave because of the control, the, the oppression, the, you know, the self-worth even. I, I really battle that with that with the women that I've helped leave. Their, their self-worth is so little because all their life, and that's all they've seen. It's generational. They've seen their grandmother treated like that. They've seen their mother treated like that. So they think that's the way women should be treated. They, they think that's the type of um, relationship they should have with a toxic, abusive man. So mm. it, to them, it's it's a role model. It's all you've seen. It's all you know. And come back to the point, when did you notice the sky was blue? Yeah. Um, the You described in the uh, podcast that I watched you on as uh, you felt like a mo- minority inside a minority. Yes. And um, and I, I totally understand that. Did... Um, how old were you when you just when you realized that you were gay and um when did it become sort of an open secret inside your locality an open secret yeah like did they yeah. figure it out you know like did they did, did people just assume or were, were is it a mystery to people like i know that you were bullied so i'm just trying to sort of ascertain how long it took for the so, for the people in uh, your well, community okay. to realize that you were gay sure. yeah i was 9 years old when i realized at primary school i think i was a bit more I think I'm emotionally driven. Um, and so I feel like um, as a child, I realized that what the other kids in my class as a nine-year-old, when they were talking about girls, I didn't have that feeling or that what they, that essence they were talking about. So I knew straight away something was off. Right. And it wasn't until I got that feeling that they were sharing, I realized, okay, I, I'm gay, what they call gay. 
but I didn't know there were other gays. I just thought I was the only one for like, I don't know, nearly six, seven years. I think I was like 13, 14 when I was flipping through a newspaper. Oh, no, I was in a a magazine shop or somewhere and I saw a a gay magazine or a gay group of people. And I I, actually, no, it was a newspaper. They had a picture of the Sydney Mardi Gras at my dad's work on the Mm -hmm. newspaper. And I remember going, oh, my God, there's a community of gays. I'm not the only one. So, But it was a very lonesome, isolating experience because from like nine years old, a child that should be worrying about whether they're going to get Lego for Christmas, not, you know, if they're the only gay in the world, um, you know, from nine to 11, 12, 13, 14, so five years, I, you know, thought I was the only one. It was so isolating and so lonely and I was bullied so badly because I didn't realise the effeminate traits I and gay people do display was like so wrong in their eyes. And I couldn't work out why I was bullied all the time and why what I was doing was wrong. Like why I enjoyed hanging out in my mum's kitchen when we had guests, why I enjoyed playing with girls, why I played with my sister's Barbie dolls, why I loved fashion, why I loved design, creativity, uh, music, art, anything that's slightly effeminate and not this toxic male dominated, you know, idea of, of what the Brethren Society have, I, I didn't fit any of those moulds and I, I didn't know why. Like I was very innocent and just was like, oh, but I like cooking. And then, you know, you were bullied because you said that. And and yeah. I, I read this book, you know, a Nancy Drew book or a Hardy Boys book. Well, actually, you know, the boys were at school were reading Hardy Boys and I'd be reading Nancy Drew and it was so gay. And I was like, I just like the book. I don't understand this. Like, so I think my... I was so sheltered. My family kept me sh- so sheltered from life that it, it in, to protect me, right? That's why they do this. In essence, it didn't protect me, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know that the, the reason I was, you know, enjoying a Nancy Drew book rather than a Hardy Boys was, you know, apparently because I was gay. So it, it's very. Yeah. It's, a, it's, um, it's hard to imagine a brethren male with his hair parted at the side and his button shirt rolled up to the elbows in his brown pants being fabulous so he (laughs) well the the trouble is yeah i didn't wear those clothes i was the one in the olive green pants with the no collared shirt and the short sleeve and i was always known and and in trouble for my outfits and i didn't give a fuck towards the end i I don't i didn't care and i was like you're gonna remember me because i'm gonna leave and live in the same town and see you guys all the time. <laughs> no, well, now they've all left because the leader made them all leave. So, oh, okay. you know what? You could call it winning. <laughs> yeah. I think it's. I woke I, up I, this morning and I chose successful. Listen, I think that is one of those um, victory laps that you decided yeah. that you weren't going to allow um, the toxicity of this organization to push you out of the only town that you ever knew. I, I, I respect that. I, I think that is. Dope, and I'm not judging anybody who left their localities, hometown, and went miles away. Yeah, That's no, I, I'm the same. But I think, um, was it tough at the beginning? Like, I, I don't know how long. Be- yeah. yeah, and it has been tough until, like, you know, three years in. It, and it was a really difficult. There were times where I was like, oh, I just want to get out of here. Like, it was a really tough gig because you, when you leave, right, you're, all your life you're taught you're better off to die than to leave. So to your family... If there's any chance, you know, your family member dies, you'll do anything to get, you know, that family member back, right? Yeah. So to them, if they see 
they see you around town, they're going to do anything to get you back because they're ultimately bringing you back to life. Because if you're out of the cult and left, there's no guarantee of your salvation. So it's up, they, they take it on themselves to bring you back. So you have every single family member coming into your shop. I had my auntie bringing my favorite cousins in, a bawling, crying mess, you know, come back. You don't know what you're doing. And then my uncle coming in with, you know, um, my, my grandma's brother, who was, you know, one of my favorite, we were born on the same birthday and I had a really close link with him. I have nothing against this person. And this is the issue. You don't have, a, a, and, and they, they often say you, you leave and like me, you, you know, I've become bitter and, and apostate. I don't have an issue with individuals. It's the community that you've created. It's the environment that you create that harbors and enables abusers. That's my issue. So yeah. call me talk a, a bitter person. I'm actually not. I have a fucking amazing life that's super peaceful. You're welcome to come join it. But but I that that in the being in the same small town, I had every single member of my family, every single distant relative show up to my shop. And this is why I was very careful to be um, you know, clever about where I lived and, and what car I drove because they would follow me. So I just you, it, it, and I can understand why people do leave the town, why people get as far away from the people they know, because it's it's traumatic right up until a year ago when I first started speaking out against them. I think, you know, they realised that there was no chance of me coming back and they stopped coming to my shop. Um, actually, this year, my auntie has come to my shop and they always leave with, you know, you know that we'll always be here for you if you need me or like, like, well, and I, I say to them, well, me too. I, I'm here if you need me because I know how toxic that situation or that life is um, that you're in and how unhappy you look because I know what happiness, I know what peace is now. What's really interesting um, to me as an outsider, as a person who was never inside that cult, uh, the only cult I was ever involved with was the Catholic Church, um, which I do consider to be a little cultish, right? Um, not quite the same thing. But uh, the interesting part is that there, there, most of the stories that I hear are when people are gone, they are completely ignored by the people that's, that remain. But you just said something, and it might be more common than, than I'm aware of, but, but you just said something I find interesting is that they, they wanted you to come back. Do you think that was because you were gay and they wanted to like g try to give you salvation and make you come back and then pray it away or whatever it is that they think that they can do for you? Like what, what was the reason or am I a little off base in thinking that most of the time they just like pretend that you don't exist anymore? I think to the general people you're spoken to, not that I've looked at every single one of your podcasts, mm -hmm. um, are older people. I was 24 years old. You got to remember. So to them, that is still oh. potential. Like there's, there's a chance to be saved. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very different when somebody's left a family behind or have, has, you know, left a wife or a, and kids behind and, and, you know, for what they call having an affair or other, you know, other reasons. I think to my, my family were, um, you know, I was the oldest sort of the heir of the family kind of thing. And I should have taken over my father's business and I should have, like, it was a very big uproot for my family who had deep connections. You know, my great grandfather was best friends with John Hales, the best, you know, the previous leader. So there was deep connections with my family and the leadership and anything, any sort of tarnish to a family's name, um, 
you know, is they, they will do anything to get that person back or to, to, you know, to, you know, the prodigal, make an example of the prodigal son, you know, yes, he was wayward. Yes. He was a bad influence. And I think they were worried too, because I think people genuinely towards the end realized that I was unapologetically me and respected that. And I ended up having, you know, a lot of people now are here that were affected by my leaving. Um, and since then I've reached out and, and, and due to that, I've helped like 15 people leave um, and counting because I'm still in contact with a lot of brethren in there. So it's, and I, and I think I've just been always authentically myself and if it, and keep it real. Like if I'm having a shit time, I'm, I'm happy to say that. If I'm having a great time, I'm also happy to share that. So I've been, I've been very honest from the outset and I've always said it's not, and people that have reached out, it's not easy to leave. It's not, but life isn't easy anyway. And your life in there sure as hell ain't easy. So let's make the best of, of the world or the situation we have. Um, generationally, and um, uh, if I can use an example of generational poverty <clears throat> and how it is almost impossible to climb out when you're fifth generation poor to climb upwards into another bracket or whatever. Yeah. And I'm wondering, um, I, I got to finagle how to word this question. Cause I don't want to, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, the, the, the lack of relationship that you had with your father, is there a part of you that not excuses it, but understands that he may have not even had much of a chance to be a good dad because of his upbringing? Yes. Yes, that's true. I, I do. And I have great sympathy there because I know his father wasn't easy. And I've had a conversation just recently with my grandparents that said to me, we wonder where we went wrong with Daniel, my dad. And I've often thought, well, I can tell you where you went wrong because I know what he was like and I know what you're like. And I can see now as a, as a grown man, what I wouldn't be like as a father. So um, but I didn't even bother explaining because they don't, they don't understand it. You know, and they kept saying over and over, you know, well, we just keep turning to God. I'm like, well, that's one easy way to cop out of it. You know, it's like saying, you know, how about do the work? How about actually sit down and work out what went wrong and have mm -hmm. a conversation and, and, you know, get confrontational with yourself and with others. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely excuse, not excuse his behavior. I definitely am sympathetic the fact that he didn't have an example of a father because he didn't and nor did the previous you know my great-grandfather and although i never met him but i knew what he was like so yes part of me does feel sympathetic but i don't excuse his behavior because i too could have been trapped in that system i was fourth or fourth generation so i even more excuse to you know be a part of that system and and you know use it to to abuse or whatever else that they you know under the guise of so no i i stood up against it i i saw the you know what was right and what was wrong and and i and they know what's right and what's wrong because they taught me what was right and what's wrong and the first thing they taught me was to be honest so if they can't even do that then then yeah i, I don't I, that's where i lose respect for them because yeah i i it's um, sorry, yeah. That's, that that comment might have distracted you, but uh, one of our viewers says Ben has some really old old soul wisdom, in addition <sighs> to incredible strength to live his authentic life. And listen, um, this yeah, this is one of those. My, I have a great. Uh, I'm not going to call them fans because 
that makes me feel weird. Uh, great audience. Um, they, they, they and they they watch these shows uh, with the X members because, um, you know, they continually marvel at at the strength of you guys. The the generational thing. The the and I'm stuck on that a little bit because um, I know that even when you're not inside something like you know the Plymouth Brethren cult, that when just in the way we navigate our lives, and the way that we try to traverse our childhood up into adulthood. People grow up and they become either people that add a link to the chain that they were handed or they break the chain. And you clearly are a chain breaker. But, but I, I, you know, there are forever you share a hope and Ben Woodbury and Richard Marsh. There are people that I think have a blind spot, it feels like, to a free thinking mindset. And and I, I'm not trying to make excuses, but, I you know, I, when I heard um, we had Heidi McCamley on the show last week. And she was talking about, um, and we heard an audio tape. She had a priestly visit that she recorded. And it still gives me goosebumps um, to listen to her father, who's, I guess, third, fourth generation, whatever, brethren, stand up to that guy that came over to their house and basically tell him, look, you're, you're looking at the wrong thing here. And protecting his daughter in the face of the institution itself. And I was like, this is powerful. And then another part of me is like, why is he staying? Like it must be just a really confusing existence for free thinkers inside this group. Uh, 100% I agree. And it brought up a few things that um, reminded me. My great-grandma, um, who I had a really close link with, once said to me that there was an alcoholic that had a pair of twins, right? One of the twin boys became an alcoholic because his father was. One became a successful businessman and successful, happy life because his father was an alcoholic. So I'm, I've always looked at that and thought life is what you make it. And you, you can use that to make it a negative one or use your circumstances to make it a positive and enrich the world around you. And I think the only disadvantage that brethren have, like Heidi's father, um, not leaving or or other my own family you know being presented with facts like my sister being groomed um, by a rapist my you know it, there's you know when you're presented with cold hard facts it, it it there's only one way to explain it and that's how they explain it psychologically is it's when that cognitive dissonance kicks in it's where you are too far into this lie which we are because we're generations in it right to pull out to for you at you know my mom at 60 to turn around and go wow my whole life was actually a lie my parents life was actually a lie what they've taught me is actually a lie to start unpacking that it's too much it's it's a lot so some they just choose to put on the blinkers as you said and just keep going because it is it's it's enough as it was for 24 years of unlearning right and i was still questioning things all my life growing up but it's still a lot to unpack it's still a lot of trauma to unlearn. And even just the way you think about, not me in particular, but the general thinking about women, about those less um, advantaged, um, those of a different race. Like it's, and, and you know, they're, they're things that the brethren are. They're extremely homophobic. They're extremely racist. They're extremely sexist. They are extremely, um, I don't know the term, I can't remember the term, where, where they're, um, anyone less than or less fortunate, yes, condescending. They, they will help out, but as long as everybody's watching, as long as they can fly it under the RRT banner or whatever fucking charity they set up to make it look like they do good for the world. When, you know, let, how about you, you know, the other day I saw they, they did a post on supporting alcohol awareness or something like that. How about you do the homework 
in your own backyard. How about you clean up your own backyard first? Because there, everybody there's a, pan, there's a pantry of Johnny Walker right there, and you guys are yeah, going to do exactly AA meetings. Yeah, I noticed that too. I, I hate it when I see their um the rapid relief team or whatever it's called um go and feed firefighters because I'm always like I wish I was a reporter on the scene so I could be like, oh, why don't you sit down and eat with the firefighters so that they'll. Oh, well, I can't. I think they recently got kicked out for homophobic comments they made by the fire people were like, we're not, you're not helping us because you're homophobic. Oh, wow. Did What was it like then for you as a, like, a, from like 18 to 24? Like, what did they ever um, try to get you into therapy or did they try to like give you drugs or like, was there any attempt to make you not who you really were? To pray away the gay. That's pretty much yeah. all I got was pray away the gay. Um, I think they knew that I was too, I didn't have a problem saying get fucked. Um, so, and although I wouldn't have sworn, I was just very, um, like I was, I was from high school was, you know, almost kicked out of Bible studies at certain lessons because I was questioning. Like I was very, okay. You know, the Bible says, Jehovah says, come, let us reason together. Well, you know, tell me why you want me to do this. Like, I'll do it, but just, you know, and then they were like, well, we don't know why we've just been told. So when I came out, I was then shipped away for um, two weeks to Melbourne sort of to try and like, they call it encouragement case. And ironically, the person they shipped me to is, you know, no longer in the brethren. And, um, not not like because I remember saying to so my old boss or priest was the leader's son-in-law so he was married to the Hales family and the, the leader's daughter so he was kind of and I in my opinion I think he'll be the next select vessel um the next what's leader it, what's his name what's his first name Lester Lester and it's, it, yeah. it's another Hales or it's an it's a son-in-law no he married he married a Hales he married Bruce Hales's daughter Oh, that should and, be fun when the brothers fight over that. That should be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like he's being groomed to be the next leader because I used to work for him and I used to witness the way and the time and the, the way he's, what he did with, you know, Bruce Hales was very obvious. It was grooming in terms of him being the next leader. And he almost emulated, represented, like became him in, in certain right. situations, the same sort of standover bully tactics that he'd use. I remember having a conversation with him. He's like about going to church and he was like at work and he's like, you can't, what you're wearing to church is ridiculous. You can't wear that, blah, blah, blah. And then another time, and he's like, it reflects badly on me too. If I allow you to wear that another time he was, you know, you, cause I wasn't, I stopped going to certain church meetings. Cause you know, on Sunday we have to go four bloody times. I was not going to a three o'clock and he would be like, you need to go. It's food for your soul. And I just remember snapping back and going, I don't have a soul. And he just was like, what? Because, you know, no one ever spoke like that. And I said, yeah. no, I, I sold it to the devil years ago. And I just remember the look on his face. He's like, don't you ever, ever say that. Like I kind of, I think, met traumatic situations like that with humor, which yeah, yeah. clearly always didn't go in my way. But um, No, but that's, that, I think that's I remember, a good way. That's a good way to handle right. it though. You know? Yeah. Like, I still do it to this day. I get myself in trouble. But I said to him, I'm with I you. said, what are you going to do to me? feed me drugs like you did Craig Hoyle. And that's another survivor story. Um, Craig yeah, was I... fed or chemically castrated basically by a brethren doctor at a young age, um, you know, just to help him with his homosexuality. Like this is the type of drugs you give 
you know, sexual offenders, like serious offenders yeah. in prison, not teenage boys that are struggling with their sexuality. So yeah, that was I, one of the more it, vicious stories that I have ever heard um, about. And, and I've heard a lot of stories and it, it was, it was, it wasn't the most, I don't know how to rank viciousness, but like it, it, it was such a unique and horrible and vicious thing to do to an individual is, yeah. to, you know, to give them pedophile drugs, basically to chemically castrate them so that they won't be who they really are. And, and, and yeah. also you're battling with so many issues at that, at that age anyway, to, to have grown ass adult professional, professional doctors, men say to you, that your your problem is so bad, is so wrong, we're going to give you drugs that will chemically castrate you. Like castration is what you do to bulls, to animals, yeah. right? And therefore you affiliate that. You're already battling with that. Like, because in my mind, I thought that's what was going to happen to me. And I, so I said to Lester, I said to him, are you going to give me the same drugs that you gave Craig? Because I, I was going to run if he did. And yeah. he said, no, 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 we won't be doing that. Don't worry. That didn't work that time. I was like, that because, time? What do you not mean? because it was immoral and, and offensive and like traumatic and brutal and abusive and all that kind of stuff. Not because of that, because it didn't work. Yeah. Yes. And this is where I was like, okay, you know, Pop, I, I was living in a myriad, <laughs> a myriad of red flags. It was, might as well have been a fucking circus. I had that many red flags to run, but it was just like another peg in to the, the reasoning behind why I was leaving because the, 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 the leadership, the people that I was meant to have respect for was corrupt from the very outset. Um, and I can't remember what I was going to segue into, but yes. That's okay. I, I was going to ask you also, did you have face-to-face -face meetings with Bruce Hales ever? Yes. So I, my first, my fir the first time I ever saw him was at a dinner and at this point, I didn't come out as gay. I didn't tell any stories. Like, like I just said hi, and he said, um, you know, shook his hand, and you know, it was such a big thing. And I remember one of the women there. He kissed her hand, and she was like, nearly fell over. She was like, this is this is to show how much of a pedestal they put him on. Yeah. She was like, oh my god, I'm never gonna. Well, she wouldn't have said, oh my god, because that's a blasphemy. But she was like, oh, I'm never gonna wash my hand. He kissed my hand, and every woman there was like, oh, wish he did that to me. Meanwhile, I'm just thinking. Yeah. Those greasy lips kissed your hand. Ew. Like it's, yeah. yeah. And I just remember having this, the first time I've ever been in a room with him and realizing that looking around and thinking, wow, he has total manipulation control of these minds. And I think I was like 16 years old when I first witnessed that. And then I came out and went to work for his, his son-in-law and he said, um, sent a message through the very next night I came out and was sent to a priest. I said, I don't want my parents to know. The next morning I woke up, Bruce Howells had been contacted and told that, yes, your parents have to know. So he had already, they'd already told my parents without my permission. And I was so devastated because all my life, my parents had, had compared me to another brethren member that had left because he was gay and were like, you're going to end up like him. Stop acting like that. You're, you're acting like this guy. You're acting like this guy. And I knew this guy was gay. So I knew what they meant. They would never say the word. They would never call me anything like that. But they would always be like, do you really want to wear that? It kind of looks like something he would have worn. Do you really want to wear that? Do you really want to do that? Like constantly. Get out of the kitchen. You're acting like, you know, my mum would say when other people were around. And it's, it's very conflicting because when you're 
in the kitchen, when, when there's no visitors or guests, right? Your mum nurtures you and wants you in the kitchen and we have a great time and fun. And like my mum and I got on like a house on fire. But when the outs, the rest of the community would come over because they were always over because that's how they keep control, right? Everybody's spying on everybody's by constantly entertaining, constantly having guests over. And they're mostly allocated. You can't just have who you want over. You get a list, right, on Friday night with written out who you have to have for Sunday lunch. So my, I had this conflict as a kid. I would, I would, you know, a normal straight boy would, not normal, but a straight boy would, would be out mowing lawns with his father. Well, yes, I used to do that, but I would spend time in the kitchen with my mum, helping her prepare for the guests to come on Sunday, whereas my brother would be outside. And that was fine. But when the guests would turn up, you know, it was very conflicting because then your mum would be shameful that you're in there. She'd be kicking you out. She'd be like, get out of the kitchen. Get, don't be, why are you in here? I'm like, but two days ago, you loved me here. So this is the conflict, the turmoil that I was suffering as a child. I was like, do you love me? Do you not? Do you want me here? Do you not? And it's all about image, all about the material, how it looks. Because and, at the and end that of the turmoil day, is, I, sorry to interrupt, but that, that turmoil is passed down from your mom to you because that's just yes. her turmoil. Right? Yes, but as a child, you don't know how to process that. It's very unsettling. And and if all you know is chaos, I've had to really work hard in just centering myself and finding my peace because to me, chaos was normal. To me, toxic relationships were normal. So, mm-hmm. and, and I find that too with other people I've helped leave that have had toxic family, you know, alcoholic parents or abusive parents, they often seek that out because better, you know, better the devil, you know, they often seek that out in a relationship because to them that's normal. And it's so hard to break that cycle. It's, you know, you've got so much yeah. more going on too. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's funny that you encompassing. Say, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, you know, I can identify with that and, you know, and I wasn't raised in that environment, but I mean, um, you know, the mates that you select often reflect the mate that your parent selected or, or something. Um, also, uh, just because I thought of it now, and I think it's it's going to be a funny soundbite. Um, the the idea of um, the people who are most fervently anti-gay are often closeted gay people, and I'm just wondering um, what's going on with Bruce Hales. Like, I mean, he he seems to be one of the most anti-gay people on the planet. And, uh, you know, I, it isn't um, I never thought it was a mathematical thing. Like the more homophobic you are, the more likely that you're a closeted gay person. I'm wondering, though, because I've had other people that won't say this on the air say not about Bruce specifically, but that the leadership in many countries. There's people that that, that you can sort of tell and they're 100%. completely positive. Yeah, 100 percent. And can you speculate? Like, is it defamation? Can you speculate without like, I don't want to say people's that, names, that, but I know that, that Bruce I know. Is gay? That Bruce Hales is gay? Is, well, I don't know about Bruce Hales because I've never had enough conversation with him to know or I think he's very good at being, you know, the innocent flower and the serpent underneath. But I know his left and right-hand wing men are homosexuals, like closeted gays, because yeah. I just know. Um, I know people that grew up with them. I know people. And also, you know, you, you're in a hyper, hyper straight community, right? So anyone slightly effeminate stands out like fucking dog's balls. And you, looking back, I, I'm like, oh, my God, he was gay. And, and there are gay men that have left, right, older gay men, and which, you know, I, I have such respect for because it would have been such a hard thing to do. 
I look back and go, their traits, their mannerisms, their personalities, and, and their interests even, are very aligned with these other men in there. Um, even what they do for work, it's, it's generally more of a soft nature. So it, it's fascinating. And I think yeah. Bruce Howes' brother is gay. I'm not going to say which one is, is closeted because his, one of his other brothers said to me, Bruce Howes' brother that I had dinner with once, he said to me, you and, I won't say his name, have a lot in common. He wanted to do interior design and furniture like you do. And father, being John Hales, pushed him out of it. He said, and then he tapped me again and poked me. He said, you and him have a lot in common. I knew he knew I was gay because they've all talked about it. So I just had this light bulb moment of going, wow, he's gay. His brother is gay. And I know, I I know, I look back now and I think, yes, that's probably it. And, and this is why, you know, they, they battle with alcohol problems, um, addictions, because they are so, they're living this unauthentic life. And then the only way to, to deal with that, and, and the same, that same Hales person said to me, you would be horrified. You know, they try and, you know, they try and dip in and lean in and teach you these little, or give you these little glimpses into past lives or the men on the front row to try and encourage you, right? To say, you're not that bad. There are others down in the front row because, in the church, right? They all sit in a circle. Whoever's in the front row is the more prominent, right? That the aspiration in life is to get to the front row. Well, it wasn't mine. I it was sounds like, like it sounds like multi-level marketing often. Yes. When I hear, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I was I was closer to the back where the sisters were because I, you know, used to like yeah. like right. not being seen. Um, so he, I remember him saying to me, "If you knew half the stories of the people on the front row." They, you would shut up, and and he's like, and then he said, and most of them are medicated, because at one point, um, Roger Patrick, Doctor Roger, suggested for me to go to a doctor and get prescribed, um, to get prescribed um, Prozac, because I was really battling with depression, because well, anxiety leads to depression, and my anxiety was in overdrive because I'd come out as gay, I literally didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I couldn't, I couldn't not be gay. And I think that was my biggest thing. I was doing everything they were telling me to do. And I just couldn't pray the gay away. I just wasn't changing. And, and if you're in the brethren and listening to this and you know, you've had the same situation, it never leaves you. I've spoken to older men that have left older women that have left, because I know there are women that are closeted too. It never leaves you and it never will. So why would you choose to live a one life you have one shot at. Why would you choose to live that so unauthentically, so miserably? And th- this is why you're, you're needing to drink. You're needing to have these crutches, these vices, because you can't bear to be who you are for, barely, for even a minute. Because that, that's why you, you solely dig or deep so deep into this religion. And some of them I know become so, so anal about, you know, whether it's, um, no pun intended there either, but like, so, I, I, so I was like, don't laugh, James, on, don't laugh. Okay. Yeah. On, on getting people out for making sure people, you know, are, are right or wrong and making, getting the assembly clean, you know, are so fixed on what they're doing because if they stop for a minute, they're going to have to realize that they are still gay. You know, they, they will not change. Nothing about that will ever change. And then they would have to admit they've wasted their whole life. And that's where this cognitive dissonance comes in. Right. You will, yeah. you, you, like a smoker, they know, a smoker knows you're going to get lung cancer. You're going to die from smoking. It's, it's a known fact, scientific evidence, but 
every time you do it, it's just this one won't kill me, right? So I'll just have one more. That's the cognitive dissonance. You're so far into it, you you can't. It's too much to pull out. Yeah, it, it's a it's it's a very strange thing. Um, and I just want to let uh, Bruce Hales know and his brothers that if they ever need to talk, you know, I'm I'm here for you guys. Well, <laughs> because interesting. Like I heard recently that um, one of the Hales boys had left, and so I sent him a message because he was actually a customer of mine. Um, they, yeah, and I he said to me the last time he visited me it was. If you ever need anything, you know you can call me. So I was like, well, I'm going to return the favor. So I sent him a message and I said, hey, heard you got kicked out. If you ever need anything, you know where I am. Did he Did he respond? No. No. <laughs> they don't like reverse psychology. <laughs> no, I would imagine they don't. Um, now, so you've been out for seven years. Yes. Give me an seven idea. Years, of how- the seven years uh the 9th of april like so yeah i just celebrated my seventh years and my friends got me a seven years leaving cake oh nice uh, what i mean i heard you talk about it so I, it sounds like you're pretty open about um the therapy that you've had to do the counseling that you've had to undergo yes are you is that something that you're probably gonna have to deal with for the for for the you know foreseeable future or are you do you feel like you you've escaped sort of the um the membrane of of the residue that 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 organization left on you like where are you at right now um i'm in a fucking great place and you know i might not be next month but i'm comfortable with that like i and i've explained this before and i think this is one of my you know secrets that i love to share is that if you can be comfortable in your own company when you are at your worst you can be anywhere in the world with anyone or without anyone and be perfectly content and i can honestly say that you you know you have and i've explained this life that comes ebbs and flows right you sometimes a high sometimes a low but if you can find that you know not a 10 not a one you can find that four five six just that even kill that's peace and you can just like you can you can take whatever life throws at you and i explain also too because i've had other people go you know you've done like three three years now of therapy where do you see yourself doing this well, I've been going to the gym now seriously into fitness for the last four years, and I'm in great shape than I have ever been. And I, I say to, you know, the, the people in the same way, if I stopped going to the gym, I'd be back where I was, right? Yeah. So I, I say the same thing with therapy. I actually don't talk about the brethren in my therapist because I, I think I well and truly compartmentalized all that. Things will come up. But that's fine and I'm okay with that. But I talk about everyday life. I talk about business. I talk about so I it's it's maintaining the engine. It's it's keeping every facet because if you've got good mental health, you've got good gut health, you've got good physical health, you as a person can run, it can it can take whatever comes at you, whatever life throws at you. And and like we've seen and like we know, because we're all in this world together. Uh, whatever life throws at you, it's not always positive. It's not always roses. Sometimes those roses have thorns. So in, in doing the gym work, in doing the mental health work, you know how to put on the gloves and catch the rose with the thorns or, or clip yeah. the thorns off. Like it's just to give you an analogy, you, you can't change what comes at you, basically. The only thing you can change is yourself. So why not prepare yourself for whatever comes? And, and I've always said to people that are like, oh, the gym, because I was that person. I used to see people running. Like, who the fuck gets up at 5 a.m.? I do that now. 
And I look, I look at somebody running. I used to look at somebody running down the street at 7 a.m. and I've just gotten out of bed and I'd be like, trip, bitch, fall. Because I was like, how, how do they have that energy? Yeah. Now I, I look at it and go, okay, it, it's, it, it invigorates you to do more. It, it's, it's so well, also, and ben, The time because... is going to pass anyway. Mm-hmm. The time will pass. So, what if, so I used to always say by 30, I'll be healthy and fit. I'm going to get to 30 anyway. So why not just do the work to get there? Well, I, I, this is, as people that know me know, this is an evidence-based show. So I just want to show the evidence that Ben is fit. There he goes. Fuck you. <laughs> Very fit. There you go, everybody. And you're holding a dog, too. This looks like a fucking fireman calendar picture. Like you're the, you're the, you're the June guy or something, you know? But yeah, but, but, but no, but it's a good thing. Like you need, um, people need uh, uh, an ability to come at their health from like it, it, what is it called um i can't remember the multifaceted shape. yeah like multifaceted it's like it's like a hexagon or whatever like you have your spiritual your mental your emotional your physical you know and there's and there's so many sleep matters diet matters there's all these things that i am not there yet i'm still a smoker and i'm and i'm uh you know and and so you're right about that like and, and oh sorry no 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 I no that analogy no and you I mean, know what i'll say it to your face you it's need to quit true. smoking for your health. Yeah, I know. Thanks, tips. Appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> but, but it's but no, but it, it's inspiring though because you're 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 pretty aspirational. Like the, the you know the things that you I had don't to think do. So. Well, you're <laughs> also you're you're also humble. Either. You're also humble, right? Like so, it's good. It's Thanks. annoying. I'm just kidding, <laughs> but but it's good. No, because the aspiration, I and I think people listening to this and watching this agree. Like you went through what you went through. You got out. You worked on yourself, and now you're this hot single guy living in the same town as your ex cult. It 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 works for you. I and I think and and you're passing it down to other people that want to get out. Can you, without giving anything away, because I know that people that are still inside, you know, worry a lot. Can you give me, um, you know, what you're kind of trying to do in order to, like, help other people leave? Okay, so I recently started doing my story on TikTok, which I didn't realize there was such a community there, and it's gone off. Like, Mm -hmm. I've had to dedicate two hours in the morning, two hours a night, and even, like, just because my friend, my one of my best friends who I train with and do life with, she was like, am I going to see you anymore? Or are you just going to be consumed in this? So it was a bit of a good wake up call to me to be, okay, I need to put this into a time slot. Um, so, but I have, and I will share more on my Instagram. I just, my Instagram has been, you know, social media is a great tool. Instagram, I've kept very open about my life because I've helped all the brethren that have left have watched and been through this, right? Have uh, through, through Instagram have contacted me through there. And that's how I've shown them that, Life is great. And yes, Instagram and social media is only a very positive, keeps a very, um, you know, filtered version of our lives. But I've also tried to be vulnerable when I've, when I've not felt so great. So I've tried, you know, tried to show them that it's not all just parties and birthdays and, and glitz and glam. Like it, there are moments where you do have your down days and I just talk about that more so on my TikTok. Um, right. And I've had a lot of people, I've, I've made it, um, question based as in the viewers just ask questions and I do a new, a new video based on their questions. So it's been really interesting because the following is developed based on the curiosity of the the followers. And it's just been a really interesting experience. Um, 
in terms of people still in there, you know me and you knew me before. And if you didn't, well, you can see I haven't changed. I've just, I've gotten confidence now and I'm comfortable with who I am in my own skin and my life. And I would love for you to have that too. And it's not an easy thing to leave. And I've said that to every single person that wants to leave. It has to be not because you think life is better out there. It's because it is, but it's not because of that. Like you have to have a almost abhorrence or a rejection of the system, of, of the Hales regime, of the, the brethren system. Because like I said, it's not the individual people, it's that environment. And once you, once you start to realise how toxic that environment is, then, then it's much easier to leave because you're not leaving on a whim. You're not leaving because you want to travel the world. You're not leaving because you found a lover down the road. You're leaving because you want to do better for you. And when I first left, somebody told me something which is fucking gold advice that I've always held on to, that nobody looks after you as well as you do. And, and if you can remember that, like no matter what somebody promises you, if you leave or stay, if, if it doesn't serve you and you don't want it or don't feel comfortable in it, don't fucking do it. Just do what's good for you. Yeah, listen, that's a, that's a good place to end it. Um, I, dude, you can be my therapist. You're amazing to talk to. <laughs> you couldn't afford my rights, no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, no, but you know what? Um, before I let you go, I'm proud of you. I, I think that what you've done is amazing. You seem like you're you're a happy person, and uh, I know that your your first 24 years or whatever on this, or maybe even more than that, was was tough, and no one should have to go through that. So I commend you, and um, and thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate the time. You're welcome. Thank you. You have a good day, Ben. Wow. I think I might be gay after that episode. He was awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, I'll have him back anytime he wants to come back. That was dope. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed that too because, um, wow, what a story. Uh, you know, to, to be able to take an inventory of yourself while still in the cult and um quietly be happy with what you are dealing with people who hate what you are or are trying to change what you are at the very least and then um and then coming out and living uh and living your best life when you leave the cult i mean that 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 is a great story um i thank ben uh for 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 coming on today that was that was dope um okay what do we have we have uh next week or sorry we have casual friday tomorrow Casual Friday tomorrow should be um, hopefully a little bit different than it was. Last, last episode was all about sex. I don't know how that happened. Um, James uh, isn't on anything anymore. So apparently when I'm not on anything, we just talk about sex. So that's, that's I don't think it's going to happen, but it might. Um, but next week, already shaping up to be an interesting week. On Monday, we have the director and producer of a dope documentary if you're a dj in toronto or if you were ever a vinyl head in toronto you know where play the record is those of us that went there used to call it play the but play the play the record was on uh young street near gerard i think and it was where all the djs went whether you're an electronic music dj or reggae dj or hip-hop dj you went there and so rob freeman is going to join us also on tuesday it's a black ball doubleheader First at noon, everybody's favorite guest, and I never get a hard time when she comes on at all, German 
European parliamentarian Christine Anderson will be on the show. I'm going to talk to Christine Anderson about the Pierre Polyev stuff when she was here because no reporter in this entire country decided to ask this person any questions except for the far right wing networks because apparently the regular media has decided that if they ask questions, they might lose ad dollars because people won't click as much. What I don't know what the reason is, but uh, she's persona non grata, so I'm going to have her on the show. And then at 8 p.m., we have Nate Pike from The Breakdown, the Alberta political show there. Uh, and we have a couple other guests that I haven't booked yet, so I won't talk about them yet, but hopefully you guys will tune in for those. And we'll see you tomorrow on Casual Friday and next time on Black Bull. Thanks, everybody. Black Bull. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.